Good morning. We'll be in Romans 12 this morning. Pastor Becker mentioned uh, verse 9 that he ended with, and uh, I just stopped there because I thought it was a good point, but I thought he covered it very well, so thank you, uh, Pastor. Sometimes we have to stop and think about how things were. The more that we know our Lord, the more that we know about him, the more at rest our heart becomes. And sometimes we kind of lose sight of what it was like, what we felt when we didn't know the Lord, as I didn't when I was 31. Um, This morning, I have a song. We would have liked to have played it, but we can't legally do that. Um, I would have liked to have had uh, Pastor Lynn, who is very talented, to play it and sing it. But even someone as talented as that has his limitations, and I don't know if he could handle this or not. (laughs) To be honest... Uh, I had thought about it, but he and a number of our folks were enjoying a a time away this weekend, and I didn't want to bother him, so I didn't. So I'm just going to read it to you, uh, having no musical ability myself, and it has to do with how I felt as a young person in the faith, and uh, what I believe how many Christians feel not knowing God very well. This is an old song, and uh, our younger people said, I haven't heard that, I think. O Lord, I am your willing servant. You know that I have been for years. I'm here in this pew every Sunday and Wednesday. I've stained it with many a tear. I have given you years of my service. I've always given my best, and I've never asked you for anything much. So, Lord, I deserve this request. Please don't send me to Africa. I don't think I have what it takes. I'm just a man. I'm not Tarzan. I don't like lions or gorillas or snakes. I'll serve you here in suburbia. In my comfortable middle-class life, but please don't send me out into the bush where the natives are restless at night. I'll see that the money is gathered. I'll see that the money is spent. Sent. I'll wash and stack the communion cups. I'll tithe 11%. I'll volunteer for the nursery. I'll go on the youth retreat. I'll usher, I'll deacon, I'll go door to door. Just let me keep warming this seat. Please don't send me to Africa. I don't think I have what it takes. I'm just a man. I'm not a Tarzan. Don't like lions, gorillas, or snakes. I'll serve you here in suburbia in my comfortable middle-class life but please don't send me to the end of the earth where the natives are restless at night. So it's sung in humor, a lot of error in the song. 
Um, and I've got a small list of them. I can make a deal with God. My good works are justification for not doing God's will. God sends people where they don't want to go. Doing God's will is distasteful. And guilt is a motivator for ministry. When believing in these things, people negate the gifts of God and the faith to carry out his will for those using the, their lives using the gifts he has given them. They miss the full, abundant life that God has prepared for every one of his children. So I have a further illustration that shows a lot, the error of a lot of Christians thinking. Um, and uh, you notice that something different going on this morning as I disappeared with the granddaughter in this little room. Uh, as a grandpa, you know, I want to see my grandchildren prepared for life and uh, the life God has for them. And so, you know, I'm just kind of thinking of my granddaughter, and I got her some gifts. And I know that these gifts will really help her in her life to come and uh, really be a big help to her. And she can't wait to model them, and so I'm going to ask her to come on out now. Now, don't you think that these are what she could really use? <laughs> this wonderful feminine granddaughter of mine. <laughs> I gotta stand here a minute, we're getting our picture taken. <laughs> All right, thank you. Now, she couldn't wait to model them because she loves to show people what a silly grandpa she's got. Not because she's impressed with the gifts. <laughs> Obviously, these are gifts that she can't use that don't fit her at all. Uh, and these are not the kind of gifts that our God gives. So... All seriousness aside, let's look at the gifts found in our passage this morning, and I'll read through them. Let's begin uh, verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Our ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So we begin with the uh, gift of prophecy or prophesying. The word prophecy generally had a much wider meaning than it has today. In our time, it is confined to only one phase of its former, former meaning, and uh, that word now indicates only the power to foretell a future. All right, now we know that that uh, gift, if you will, is gone, uh, no longer in existence. But originally, however, to prophesy meant to speak for God, 
to speak for God. That's really all it was, it's to speak for God. This is why I don't see the necessity of eliminating the gift of prophet from Ephesians 4.11. And he himself gave some to the apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. In a generic sense, prophet is still there. Today there are gifted men speaking for God, preachers that proclaim the truth of God's word in a broader sense, if you will. These are men who aren't necessarily connected to their audience, but are there to proclaim, thus saith the Lord. And I believe this is important because we attempt to mash all the gifts in a, in a few people or one leader in a church or whatever. And that's just not what the Bible teaches. There are men who are very gifted in speaking for God, speaking from his word and uh, uh, what God has to say, what he's done, what he's doing, what he's going to be doing. We go to the next word, ministering or ministry. Let us use it in our ministering. The original Greek word for ministry is the root of our word deacon. As one man puts it, it will be better understood if we translate it personal ministering, ministering to the personal needs of other believers. We are all familiar, you can turn there if you'd like, with a passage in Acts 6, 1 through 7. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now in those days when the number of the disciples were multiplying, was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution, or actually deaconing. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry, again, deaconing of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus, Nicanor and uh, Timon, Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. We can learn a lot through this uh, as we look at this passage. Uh, they were failing to minister to the needs of the Hellenist widow widows. Their husbands were dead, and they needed the same care as everyone else. The apostles also saw the need to focus on their gifts, their work of ministering, on their gifts, their work of ministering or deaconing the word. It was later that men ministering of material needs were called deacons. The role of deacons today in our culture has been relegated primarily to that of taking care of the church building. Its real spiritual goal, however, is that of caring for the needs of the saints. The results of spiritual gifts ministered in spiritual unity we see in verse 7 
Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And here we see people a different time and everything, but still we see the same results when a church has unity, and they're using their gifts as God called them to the church grows. It grows first here, first here, and then in a uh, number of people who desire to know the Lord Jesus Christ. When I first came to this church, we had a deacon, in, a wonderful deacon in the church, a wonderful example of a deacon, and that man was name was Jim McMahon. He did what needed to be done, despite those on the sidelines blessed with the gift of criticism. I loved talking to him because he would be involved and tell me what he had been doing and everything and then tell me what people would say about his work and truly criticize what he did. And that didn't mean anything. He wasn't doing it for them. He was doing it for Jesus Christ. And he continued on his work rather than just being discouraged and quitting. So then we go on to teaching. He who teaches in teaching. It's been an interesting news week. Uh, Pastor Becker brought this up. Um, The news viewed a video taken by a student in a classroom of what they suspect is the worst teacher in the world, and uh, some even calling her insane. And it was a video of her in her classroom that showed that she was profane, anti-American, hated President Trump, her parents hated her parents, and informed the students, her students, that their parents were dumber than they were. So there's, this is just in the news this week. Also in the news was a woman in leadership who declared the greatest threat to the public school system is Christian white women. I didn't say it. (laughs) How sad. How sad. You know, anyone that studied history at all knows that it was young, basically white, because that was what was here, ladies that were our school teachers of the past. And this was the main emphasis, not in preaching, but in the integrity and character that the Word of God taught. And the school boards insisted that she would be a person of character. And my dad talks about how he, they used the Bible in uh, his school as they taught their lessons. How sad that this is where we have come, isn't it? Pretty negative, and we need some uplifting news here. Um, It wasn't in the news, so I don't know if you know it, but you have the greatest teacher in the world right here, me. I have the proof right here. It says right there, world's greatest teacher, A+. 
And no, I didn't find it in a thrift store. One of my family classes gave it to me. Um, actually, I'm too lazy to be the greatest teacher in the world, but uh, I have been given the gift of pastor teacher. The gift of teaching presupposes that that person has people learning from them. Some proof of that is sitting in this room. Most of the leaders I've taught have a far greater mental capacity than I do and are far more talented. This is what God can do. Anthony and I took a little trip up north here a couple weeks ago and we stopped at Northern Grace to uh, listen to Pastor Lynn preach at those poor people at the family camp. And while preaching, he pointed at me and accused me of impacting his life for Christ. That's what it's all about. See, this is why what I'm saying isn't bragging. This is a gift God's given me. And he's given me men and women who want to know Christ in a greater way and has impacted their lives in wonderful ways. See, I can say these things because this is God's gift, not my ability. It may have taken me a while for to understand, but I eventually realized that she had given me this big, this gift. I can't brag about, and I can't brag about me over something that my father has given me. I can only brag about him and what he can do. He gave me the gift, and every good thing I've done in the area of teaching was what he did in and through me. He gets the glory, while I get the blessing of men and women of faith in my life, people whose whole focus is that of Jesus Christ and bringing him glory. A lady in my former flock didn't realize it, but she acknowledged this as she gave me a backhanded compliment, not to me face to face. <laughs> she said, Dan's more of a teacher than a preacher. And what she didn't know, what she meant by that was I was more of a teacher than a prophet, in which I totally agree. Very important that we understand these things. Very important that we understand that it doesn't matter our past or our abilities. God gives us gifts that go beyond us, beyond our abilities, beyond our mental abilities, and does things that are so wonderful because they bring people to him and to his truth and being children that imitate our God. So next we go on to exhortation. He who exhorts in exhortation. Now exhortation always looked to me like one of those words that depicts the wrath of God. I always figured that my dad exhorted me a lot and by that anger and 
all these other kind of things, um, talk down to me, these kind of things. But nothing could be further from the truth. The word means to encourage, put courage into, primarily to help people to have a greater faith in God. No, you can trust God in this situation, in this difficulty that you're in, you can trust God through it. It is the Greek word paraclete, our Lord used for the Holy Spirit as comforter. John fourteen sixteen, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you a helper, comforter in the King James Bible, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth... And then he says, I will not leave you orphans. I will not leave you orphans. Isn't that wonderful? Now in this age of grace, this dispensation of grace that we're living in, those that come to Christ are definitely not orphans. We have a heavenly father. We are his children. And it doesn't matter where our earthly parents are, we are not orphans. He has given us his spirit, and he has also given some the gift of comforter or exhortation that the spirit works through to encourage others. Again, it's important that he is the spirit of truth. There is no real comfort and never will be apart from the written and living word, Jesus Christ. Never, ever. And this is what we must rest in to know in our hearts and to rest in. There's no comfort apart from the word of God. There's no comfort apart from the living Jesus Christ. And this helps us to focus in the work that we've been given. We don't spend our time trying to convince somebody that won't be convinced about our Lord Jesus Christ. We comfort, first of all, and the Bible always teaches this, we comfort each one another. We minister to one another within the church. And that has to go beyond that eventually because we can't keep it to ourselves. <clears throat> One commentator writes, if I were called upon to define exhortation, I would say that it comprises the entire pastoral gift. All that an older person does for a younger, all that a friend does for a friend, all that a pastor does to counsel and comfort, all that the strong do for the weak. There are always many in difficulty who need counsel and advice, and Scripture is filled with encouraging us to be encouragers. But there are some that are gifted and some that people recognize, I need to go to him, I need to go to her, because they will encourage me, and they'll do it in the truth, not just make me feel good or try to. All the preachers in our church know that if they need to be encouraged while they're preaching, should they get to a dull spot or whatever, all they have to do is look at this little lady down here in the third pew. Because she's always with us. She's always listening. And she always has a smile, just like I just got. <laughs> she's an encourager. Uh, I don't know if she knew it before this morning, but that's her gift. And uh, I know everyone in here would agree with me. My last sermon in church was Father's Day. 
Uh, but uh, Mr. B. Allen, probably more than anyone else, including me, is picking up where I left off on Father's Day. Why? Because she gets a CD. They don't bring it to her. She goes right back and gets it after the message, puts it in her car, and listens to it on her radio or CD player. Every time she goes somewhere, the message is on. And she played a portion of my last message to me last week when I took her out to the car. <laughs> That's an exhorter, not everyone's gift, but it definitely is hers. Giving. This is the one preachers love to preach on. Giving. It is interesting to note here that my favorite commentator on Romans does the same thing as most preachers when it comes to the gift of giving. He basically, whether or not he believed it, made everyone a receiver of the gift of giving. <laughs> In fact, most leaders attempt to manipulate all into having all the gifts, but especially this one. You need to be giving more. And that is not what scripture teaches. We need to be giving what God calls us to give. And there are certain people who have been given the gift of giving. And so many, unfortunately, override that. Now, grace believers, by definition, are givers. The love that God is is meant to be expressed to all who are in our lives. Our concern becomes more the needs of others rather than ourselves. But this passage is talking in particular about those who God has given liberally to, given the gift of giving. And because they have been, and this is always important, because they have been to Romans 12, 1 through 3, they can and they can give freely. They can give freely what? To something? No. Freely back to he who has given to them so liberally. And we all know that. The more that when we've been to Romans 12 and that's become part of our heart, that's what we become as givers. Givers of ourselves to what the need is. See, we're humans. We like to put this down to money, but that, no. No, we're all givers. We've been given God's perfect love, and the more that we know him, the more that we're able to pass that on to others. But there are those who have been given the gift of giving in a monetary sense. I've learned over the years that an awful lot of giving within Christ's church is within expectation of something in return. I've been saddened by the gifts that come out. Obviously, I will get an exemption or I'll get money back from my taxes if I give this. And people get mad and not give because it wouldn't get them a tax exemption or money back. But the prosperity preachers get rich off of this mindset. And it's not giving at all, but attempting to trade with God. God, I'll give you a little bit of what I have, or maybe a lot of what I have, but I'm expecting a lot more in return. 
I've also learned that when someone gives me a gift to confirm with a gifter that their gift is truly a gift. Too often the gift has strings attached. Someone once gave me a really unique and fairly expensive gift. It was one that I didn't need, didn't want, would have added more of a burden onto my life. And... uh, but as he gave it, I was grateful and thankful and didn't say those things. And, but I did ask him, I said, can I sell, give, or trade, or do anything I want to with this? And he says, yes, absolutely. So I gave it to someone I know who could use it and enjoy it. And through that, it got back to him and found out No, he hadn't either. He got very angry because I had given it away. So he didn't give it to me. He had traded for his own good feelings, whatever. I don't know. doesn't matter. That's what we have to be careful of. It's a lot of reasons why people won't accept us giving to them in different ways because they're always thinking there's a catch. There's something there. That person wants something back. I'm going to owe him. And see, that comes into our theology, doesn't it? This is why we have such a hard time with grace. That God could do what he did to his son and give us, through the finished work of his son, salvation, free. We have such a problem with that. No, God, God wants something back. And that's why we struggle with these gifts. God gives me a gift, but he is expecting something from me. God desires his children to be grateful, and just like any good parent would, and use the gift he gives them out of love for him, never because he expects something in return. A child living by faith will give out of a heart filled with his father's love, and a person who has the gift of giving will be able to give more than those who haven't got the gift nor the resources. One of my favorite stories, <clears throat> illustration, excuse me, of this, R. De Letourneau, he was a man that invented uh, earth scrapers and improved uh, heavy equipment, things like that. And I read his book, and there were years of struggle, as there will be with anyone like this, years of struggle. Then it comes a time that he realized he'd finally got what he needed, and he realized, wasn't yet, but he realized that he was going to be rich. The money was going to start pouring in. And the first thing that he did, he sat down with his wife. They prayed. They discussed it. And they made the decision right there to give 90% to the Lord. And they kept 10% for themselves. And even of that 10%, they use some of that uh, for ministry as well. This is what God does in our lives. See, it isn't a preacher telling, this is what you got to do, or this is what you should do, or whatever. No, this is what God did in this couple's lives, and it's a beautiful thing. 
leading, he who leads with diligence. I believe this gift, although not limited to, falls in with the pastor-teacher we find in Ephesians 4. And another reason that I don't see any of the gifted men of Ephesians 4 being passed from the scene. The King James, however, uses what I think is a harsher word, ruleth, he that ruleth with diligence. I believe that this has caused a great, maybe the greatest deal of harm uh, to the church, that ruler. One commentator writes, this gift has had a strange history because there have been men who abused it and became domineering, haughty, and overbearing tyrants. There have been a swing away, because of that, they've been a swing away from church discipline. Now take advantage of office, the rulers of the office, the rulers of the church have perpetrated unutterable horrors in enslaving the souls of men. Men have fought for domination in the church far more greedily than dictators fight for tyrannical power in government. For the political dictators are content to rule over men's bodies and fortunes, but these church leaders wish to rule over men's souls as well. The Greek word leads here means he who is placed in front of. That's what I like, break it right down in English. He was American. He was placed in front. God uses words to describe his church, the body of Christ, so we have a clear understanding of his intentions. So what word is often redefined in Ephesians 4.11 of the gift of men that are listed there? And... There's apostle, prophet, evangelist, and pastor teachers. One, there's one word there that's redefined to fit our understanding. Does it say president teacher, king teacher, dictator teacher? And say that does it? No, it is pastor teacher. What is a pastor? Scripture is clear on that as well. It's a shepherd. A shepherd. What does the shepherd do? He leads. You don't drive sheep. You lead them. And that says what? He must be going somewhere. (laughs) He must be going somewhere if he's leading. Uh, And again, see, it's something we turn around to a bully pulpit of standing up and preaching at people. And hurting them, if you will. H-E-R-D-I-N-G. The shepherd leads from the front and protects his flock through the truth of God's word, both written and living word, Jesus Christ. A shepherd doesn't prod, push, or pull. A shepherd leads. A biblical shepherd has only one place to lead people, and that is to Jesus Christ. That's all. There's a need for salvation to lead them to the truth of the gospel. If there's a need for growth, and there always is, to lead them to the only one that can cause growth, Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what the problem is that we have in this life. Jesus Christ is always the answer. 
pastor has a flock that he is to lead, teach, and protect with the truth that is in Jesus. He is not in the front facing and demanding from the flock, but leading with his face towards Jesus Christ. He leads as an example of a faithful child of his loving father. I believe this is the primary reason that so many pastors, when they leave the pulpit in a church, there's no one coming behind to fill his place. I really believe pastors are built up within the church. Follow me, and if people are following him, eventually people like I did will learn that God gifted them as a pastor teacher and begin leading with pastor, and then eventually, uh, wherever they don't have to be ever be the senior pastor, if you will. The pastor never truly led them towards Jesus Christ, so members of the flock could realize and use the gifts of pastor teacher. So very important. Again, there's so much of our humanity comes into the way we define scripture and look at scripture. We have to be very careful of that. The only reason I ever had impact on people is because the only thing I had to give them was Jesus Christ. That's all I knew. I knew a great, big, wonderful God that I was learning more about and I was passing on to them. That's what Paul meant when he said, follow me as I follow Christ. I get off the path, don't follow me. Mercy. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. This is a Christian gift of engaging in practical deeds of kindness. There's a place in the local church for those who don't have the, these other gifts, but uh, this one is definitely uh, can be for all of us, although, again, some have uh, obviously been given this gift. Many there are within the church who go about their business in an unspectacular way, doing a much-needed work in showing kindness and helpfulness to their fellow believers. I believe prayer may even come under this gift. How many times I've heard an older person, all I can do is pray. <laughs> Relegating that to something, you know, whatever. Sweeping floors, which is important too, but you no, know, prayer is very, very, very important. And I don't believe that uh, I would have had the ministry I had if it hadn't been for people praying for me. So as we conclude, as, as we close, it's important to note that each of these gifts is necessary for the proper functioning of the body of Christ. Since that is the case, one gift cannot be exalted over another, and therefore the transformed life exhibits humility in its relationship to others in the local church. There is no hierarchy. We're in a path, and we're all going down that path. And some of us are farther down the path because we've learned more about our Lord and learned more about his word, and we're farther down. Not higher up, but further down. Maybe uh, closer in our understanding. One commentator writes, each believer has a different gift, and God has bestowed these gifts so the local body can grow in a balanced way. But each Christian must exercise his or her gift by faith. We may not see the result of our ministry, but the Lord sees it and he blesses.
whatever gift we have must be dedicated to God and used for the good of the whole church. Now, <clears throat> this can be misleading too, what he said, that must be dedicated. All right. Paul is writing about to people now that have been through Romans and come to the point in Romans 12, 1 and 2 that we've gone through that have surrendered their body and their soul to the Lord. So they are dedicated. So it isn't something we go through life, okay, I'm going to do this for you, Lord. I'm going to do that for you, Lord. No, it's something that we do in a natural way because we already have surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ and his will for our lives. And more and more we see his good and acceptable and perfect way. So very important. Whenever we're focused on uh, God's work as God's work and what we're doing for him, I don't think it is anymore. I think we're doing it for our glory. Uh, he leads us into all kinds of work, and, and like in myself, things that I definitely wasn't looking for and probably would have ran away from had he told me beforehand. Um, yeah. A commentator goes on to write, it is tragic when any one gift is emphasized in a local church beyond all the other gifts. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? The answer to all these questions was no. And for a Christian to minimize the other gifts while he emphasizes his own gift is to deny that very purpose for which gifts are given, the benefit of the whole body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Spiritual gifts are tools to build with, not toys to play with or weapons to fight with. In the church at Corinth, the believers were tearing down the ministry because they were abusing spiritual gifts. They were using their gifts as ends in themselves and not as a means towards the end of building up the church. They so emphasized their spiritual gifts that they lost their spiritual graces. They had the gifts of the Spirit, but were lacking in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, etc. found in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And I end this quote there. When Christ, the Son of God, was on the earth, his whole life was that of glorifying his Father. If you, he, is, he said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. As he was preparing his disciples for the cross, he said the following, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit of God, who indwells a believer's body, gives us our gifts and empowers us to live them out as he guides us into all truth. 
in which Jesus says what? That he is the truth. And therefore our gifts will always be used when we are walking in the spirit to, do, to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Our gifts and his work are nothing for the believer to fear, as we looked at when we began this morning. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. These are what he gives even to people like me who had no ability to teach and still is not able to remember a good thought from here to the back door. Because he has given me the gift he has given me and the faith I need to use them. A man so totally fearful of talking to more than two or three people at a time he gave the gift of teaching and made me completely comfortable with it. His power, his love. Because he has given me the gift he has given me and the faith I need to use him, he's also taken away my fears. And my life has been that of teaching about him and leading people always towards him. And he has given me an abundant life filled with blessings. What he will do for everyone who comes to the place of Romans 12, 1 and 2 and 3. And Father, I don't want to live my life anymore. I want you to live your life in me. For all that you have done for me, it is stupid for me to try to live my life anymore. I need you to live in and through me and I need your will in my life. And the blessing and the wonder of this, he has the same thing in his heart for every one of his children. And I am so thankful that so many of you have experienced that. With that, let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for you and who you are. And uh, Father, it's not surprising that we go to your word with a human mindset and look at things from what we can understand rather than looking to you, uh, Father, to guide us into all truths, the truth of who you are and your plan for our lives. Thank you for the way that you work in the life of a Euclid believer, the way that you give us gifts, wonderful, awesome gifts, not stuff that we can't use or disgust us, perhaps like what I gave uh, my granddaughter this morning. Um, Father, we just thank you that you're, all you can ever do is good, and that's what you give us is good, good gifts. Gifts that uh, will minister to others. Gifts that will always bring you to light. That will always point to you and the great and wonderful God that you are. Father, I thank you and praise you for those here and those listening to this message. Thank you for what you are doing in their lives. And Father, may we all come to the place in our lives that we no longer want to live for self, but knowing the God that you are, we want to live for you. And Father, we praise you now in your wonderful name, Lord Jesus. Amen. <laughs>